Turn with me, please, in your Bible to Judges chapter 11, reading three verses only in that text. Judges chapter 11, verse 27 through 29. Jephthah is speaking to the king of Ammon. And the scripture tells us that he said this. Wherefore I have not sinned against thee, but thou doest me wrong to war against me. The Lord, the judge, be judge this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. And then we have this Holy Spirit commentary on the king's response to that Jephthah's words. Verse 28, Howbeit the king of the children of Ammon hearkened not unto the words of Jephthah which he sent him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpeh of Gilead. And from Mizpeh of Gilead, he passed over unto the children of Ammon. Turn there in a moment for our message together. Before we do, would you turn with me to hymn number 146 and stand with me while we sing, Great God in vain, man's narrow view attempts to look thy nature through, our laboring powers with reverence on, thy glories never can be known. Stand with me, please, 146. Great God in vain, man's narrow view Attempts to look thy nature through our laboring powers with reverence on thy glory never can be known not the high seraph's mighty thoughts who countless years his God had sought such wondrous height or depth can find for fully trace thy boundless mind. Yet, Lord, thy kindness stains to show all that we mortal 
souls need to know what wisdom, goodness, power divine through all thy works and conduct shine. Oh, may our souls with rapture trace thy works of nature and of grace. Adore thy sacred name and still press on to know and do thy will. Be seated. A title for the message this morning, though it's not published in the bulletin, it's simply that these words a servant's submission. The power of God and a dog's ear. A servant's submission. The power of God and a dog's ear. I'd set out in the past two messages to address our hearts to this text. Judges chapter 11, the full text being verses 12 through verse 29. And I had set out, as you know, in those messages to draw from it what lessons there are here which we may take to our souls. As you have seen and know in my years of ministering, I find rich lessons in the Old Testament. I know we're in a generation of modernity that wants to hear nothing from the Old Testament. There's a great addiction to sticking only to the New Testament for preaching, but the Old Testament is rich, great lessons for the New Testament believer. In those first two messages that I have brought to you already, I drew from this record the vast implications that first lesson was in the vast implications of the truth of our depravity. Surely in this passage, this record of God's dealings with Jephthah, there's a great Lesson in watching this king of Ammon and his reactions, actions and reactions. There's a great lesson to be learned in the truth of human depravity. We talked, I gave you that in three simple points. We saw in this king of Ammon that the unregenerate heart will despise and reject the will of God Number one, even in the face of the facts of history, Jephthah laid out for him in this text the actual facts of the history of how Israel came in possession of this land and 
in spite of the facts of history, this king was determined to strive against the will of God. And then secondly, I said that there, the human heart is depraved such that it will strive against the will of God even in the face of precedent. 300 years, Jephthah said. I'm sorry, uh, yes, Jephthah said 300 years we've had this land. You've never, your ancestors never challenged our right to possess it. 300 years of precedent. And this king of Ammon would throw it off as if it were nothing. What a characteristic that is of our own age, is it not? Precedent counts for nothing in the eyes of this generation. Such is the depravity of man that it will despise the will of God in the face of precedent. And then that third and final point I gave you, the depraved heart of man will despise the will of God even in the face of divine prerogative. Here in this text, Jephthah makes the point to this man, the Lord God gave us this land. Does that mean nothing to you? The Lord God gave us this land. Such is the depravity of the human heart that it will despise the will of God even in the face of divine prerogatives. Much, much, much more could be said. I could preach that entire sermon again and never repeat myself. But now today, I would draw our attention to these verses I've added from our original reading. I've added one other verse, verse 29 this morning. And I would draw our attention to these verses to look again at what our God would say to the instruction of our hearts, the lessons from this text. I give you secondly, my first lesson as I said was a lesson in human depravity. I give you as a second lesson from this text of scripture, I give you a lesson in the servant's submission. Servants. Submission. Verse 27, Wherefore, Jephthah said, Wherefore have I sinned against thee, but thou hast doest me wrong to war against me? The Lord, the judge, be judge this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. While I'm aware that I have mentioned this point before in my preaching the previous two sermons, I only mentioned it briefly. I would set it out again this morning to our help. The word, verse 27, the word judge in verse 27, the Hebrew word judge is shofat. And it means to pass a verdict or to vindicate. And in verse 28, it says that the king of Ammon hearkened not. And that word Hammon, uh, hearken is the word shamah and means to hear intelligently and with obedience. 
so that we learn from this text that this Amalekite will not hear intelligently nor with obedience. So what then, what then is God's servant supposed to do? He has set himself, the king of Ammon has set his men in place. He set his nation in posture to come and war against Israel and destroy them. And Jephthah has sent messengers now, not once but twice, with full defense and explanation, trying to defuse the situation. And then we find out in the scripture that such is the defiance of this sinner's heart against God and against the work of God and the people of God and the will of God that he will have no part of it. And the words in the Hebrew tell us plainly that he will not hear intelligently or with obedience. And so what I ask, what is God's servant supposed to do now? And the answer is simply this. And the lesson we learn is simply this. He must learn to wait for the Lord to judge it. He must learn to wait. And let the Lord be the judge. Let the judge be the judge. I love the wording in the King James Version, the way it the, the terse, simple, forceful way that he says, The Lord, the judge, be judge. <laughs> the Lord, the judge, be judge. Oh, how often do we find ourselves in circumstances where justice seems to have been derailed. There just is no right in the actions of others against us. Jephthah indicates that that's the state of his mind. You notice, you remember in verse 12, Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon saying, What hast thou to do with me? That thou art come against me to fight my land. Why are you doing this? There's no justice in this. There's no right in this. Why are you doing this? You can hear it in his words. Chapter 26. Why therefore? Why? In the 300 years, why didn't you recover the lands within that 300 years? Verse 27. Wherefore I've not sinned against thee. Thou hast done me wrong. Thou doest me wrong to war against me. You can hear it in his voice. You can hear it in his words. There's just no right in this. It's just not right. I mean, I mean, there's no justice in this. What am I to do? What am I to do? What am I to do next? Well, Jephthah testifies, let the Lord be judge. Let the judge be judge. <laughs> oh, I'm giving you a lesson this morning. In the submission of a servant. This is God's servant. What's he to do? Submit. 
submit to the will of God. Jephthah says, let the Lord, the judge, be judge. Was that not the verdict? Do you remember it? Was that not the verdict of those three Hebrews in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 16? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, if it be so, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods. Let God be the judge of it. I don't know what to do. We've done everything we can do, Jephthah says. I've done everything I know to do. All I can do now is trust the Lord to be the judge of the thing. That's the submission of a servant of God. Was not that the verdict? Of dear old Daniel. Again in that book of Daniel. But over in chapter 6. Was that not the verdict of Daniel? Verse 8. Now O king establish a decree and sign the writing. That it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians. Which offered not. Wherefore king Darius signed the writing and the decree. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He went into his house. And his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks unto God as he did. Listen to these words in verse 10. As he did aforetime. I'm just going to do right. I'm going to obey God and leave it to the judge to judge. Well, you know the rest of the story. You know what happened to him? <laughs> he didn't know what was going to happen. He left it to the judge to judge it. He said, I'll just pray. I don't know what else to do, but pray. And let God do whatever God will do. Oh, I've done all I can do, said Jephthah. Yet there remains this evil, this evil man with his evil plans. What can I do? Well, just stand and wait for the judge to be judge. Is that not what our scripture teaches us in Ephesians? Chapter 6 and verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness, wickedness in high places, wherefore take unto thee the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. <laughs> and having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, having your loins girt about the truth and the breastplate of righteousness. What am I to do? Well, there's a lesson here. In the submission of a servant. I'm just going to wait. Let the Lord. 
the judge be judge. Just stand. Wait. That's not popular our day either, is it? I listen to preachers talk a lot of times when I'm among them. And it seems to me that the general modus operandi for how to handle situations, they seem to just lick their finger and check which way the wind's blowing. They go on social media and find out what everybody else is doing about it. They confer among themselves. When truth is in the balances, we don't need a conference to talk about it. I don't need to go to the internet to figure out what to do. Just let the Lord, the judge, be the judge. Just stay. Jephthah said, I don't know. I've done all I can do. Now the Lord will be the judge of it. Learn this lesson. Learn a servant submission. And I may ask you today, from whom may we better learn this lesson? From whom could we better learn this lesson? than from our Lord himself. Mark chapter 14 and verse 32. They came to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. He taketh with him Peter and James and John began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And he said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless, what I will, not what I will, but what thou will. Servant submission. Lord, I will let you be the judge. Is there any other way? I'll let you be the judge. Oh, we learn from our Lord Jesus himself. Great lesson of a servant submission. We learn from Jephthah. Here's a lesson, surely. Here's a lesson, surely, in this text that runs across the grain of our natural inclinations and stifles our anxious flesh. Well, said Jephthah, I have no more that I can do. I have no more to say, sir, to you. I have no more to say. Let the Lord the judge be the judge. <laughs> Could I say to you this morning, oh, how many wars may be won in our lives. If only we could learn to trust to leave the affair for God to judge it. Rather than putting our carnal hands on the matter. Leave it 
for the judge to judge. But now notice with me before I leave that lesson. Notice with me also that while Jephthah submitted himself to the God of all justice to judge, and he left the outcome of it all in the hands of the supreme judge, but don't miss this. In verse 29, he tells us he readied himself for war. Verse 29. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed over Gilead. Oh, he's leaving the matter in the Lord's hands, but he's not, he's not waiting inactive. He's not inert. He's readying himself for war. Did not our text in Ephesians chapter 6 admonish us to stand? I read it in your hearing a moment ago. And having done all to stand, to withstand, stand! But arm yourself for war. That's what that Ephesians 6 text tells us. The army of our God is not only prepared to stand, but to march. Oh, I read to you last week in the afternoon class, we're studying Baptist distinctives. And I shared with you in that lesson, that lecture from last week, I shared some of the men in past history that have stood on this particular Baptist distinctive of ours of saying that the scripture alone is the only rule for faith and practice. That's a Baptist distinctive. And I shared with you some of the men, C.H. Spurgeon and that downgrade controversy. Dr. R.G. Lee and his peers who stood in against the Southern Baptist liberalism and stood for the Word of God. I read you about those men. They were not only prepared to stand, they were prepared for war. They were prepared to march in their day for the truth. Gill said that Jephthah here did not stay where he was for them to bring the war into the land. Gilead, but rather he prevented that by carrying it in to the land of the children of Ammon. <laughs> Gil very wisely points us to this fact. Oh, how often, how often does our God find us to use a British expression, a wonderful British expression, how often does our God find us back on our heels? battling from behind in our spiritual lives. Often too weak or too self-consumed to carry the battle forward, storming the citadels of hell, as it were, in our quest to see the honor of God prevail. How often are we ready to lay back rather than march forward? Gilead submitted himself as a servant of God. He was submitted to God. Judge, Lord, you judge it as you will. But I'm going to ready for war. 
Oh, is that not the command our Lord gave us in Matthew 28 and verse 19? Go ye into all the world. Take the gospel. Take the banner and march. Go forward. Don't stand here. Go forward with it. This is the, this passage in Matthew 28, 19 is not an invitation to comfort, but it's marching orders to war. The outcome of which the scripture tells us in Matthew 16 and 18, even the gates of hell shall not prevail. Oh, I ask you this morning, brethren, What's happened to the holy boldness and courage of conviction in this generation of politically correct Christians? Nineteen seventy-two. I've quoted to you many times. Brother Lester Olaf preached a sermon in Chattanooga, Tennessee. The need of the hours of mad prophet. Amen. Man with strength and courage of conviction. When truth, somebody said, when truth is in the balances, obstinance is a virtue. The need of the hour is a mad prophet. Our brother prayed not long ago for that. This brings me to my third lesson from this text. There's a lesson in this text that the need for the people of God is the power of God. How providential our brother prayed twice at least, two times at least he used that word in his prayer. He mentioned and brought to the Lord's hearing our need for power. There's a need for the power of God. Look at verse 29 in my text. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Oh, the power of God came on Jephthah. There's the need, there's a lesson here in the need for the power of God in building God's kingdom. One of the great tragedies and sorrows of my heart, I fear in Christendom at large, we have grown accustomed to powerlessness. We've grown accustomed to powerlessness. Some have even grown suspicious of anything that might look like the power of God. Can I say to you this morning that the battles of our God are won by the strength of His power. The battles of our God are won by the strength of His power. They are not won by the genius of intellect. They are not won by the craft of artistic creativity. Dear Lord, help some of our Presbyterian brethren. 
They got whole departments and buildings in their churches dedicated to visual arts. I'm telling you, the kingdom of God will not be accomplished by the craft of artistic creativity. It will not be accomplished by the restraints of legalism. We've seen where that went. Through the 70s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, legalism prevailed in large denominational wholesale craft. But it didn't accomplish the power of God. It didn't build the kingdom of God. That will not be built by the restraints of legalism. The kingdom of God will not be built by the treasuries of financial wealth. The kingdom of God will not be built by the prowess of psychological and, and emotional manipulation. The kingdom of God will not be built by the academics of scholarship. But it will be accomplished by the power of God. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. I won't take the time this morning. I started to share with you tons of notes that I have, but I won't do it. That phrase, that phrase, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Trace it through the Old Testament. Look at it for yourself. See what it means. God came on a man to display His power. The power of God. The kingdom of God will not be built by the academics of scholarship. It was 30 something years ago. I can't find, I won't take the time to find it written in the back of my Bible somewhere. 30 something years ago, I wrote down, I was meditating one day and I, and I wrote down that the power of God will not, the kingdom of God will not be accomplished. By academic scholarship. And I wrote in my Bible. Never has there been a time. Never has there been a time in history. In which the gospel is more clearly understood. And theologically defined. While having less power. To change men's lives. Academic scholarship won't do it. No, no, no. It's the power of God. It's the power of God that will be attained in holy prayer and repentance. John Gill said, The spirit of strength and fortitude of mind, of uncommon valor and courage, and of zeal for God and Israel and against their enemies, such a spirit is used is normally given to men when they were in an extraordinary manner raised up by the Lord to be judges, saviors, deliverers of His people. So that as Jephthah was before chosen by the people to be the general and head of the tribes beyond Jordan, he was raised up and qualified by the Lord now to be the judge of Israel and their deliverer of which the Spirit of the Lord coming on him was a sufficient proof, evidence, and met his need. The power of God came on him. <laughs> I sometimes remember some trite sayings I learned when I was young and stupid. Or but I sometimes chuckle and get a lesson at the same time. 
I remember years ago, preacher said one time in a tent meeting, revival tent meeting, he said, if you'll get on fire for God, folks will come and watch you burn. <laughs> Try it as that may sound. There's a lesson in it. Oh, when's the last time you saw a man so full of the power of God that you stood amazed just to watch him? Oh, Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. The Lord said, Terry, he here. Said to his disciples, Terry, here. Till the power comes. Till you be endued with power from on high. I said we've gotten used to powerlessness. We've become adjusted to powerlessness. We've come to think that's normal Christianity to be powerless. Verse 28 9 tells us the Spirit of the Lord came on him. There's a lesson here in the need for the power of God. In that text in Luke 24 and verse 49, tarry. That word tarry in the Greek is an interesting word. It means to be settled. Seated is another translation. Settled. Until the power comes. And that word power, as you know, there's different Greek words translated power in our Bible, but that's the word dunamis. Great power. Dunamis. From which we get the word dynamite. Power. Just be settled right here until the dunamis comes and you'll be endued. Now there's a wonderful Greek word. It means, it literally has the picture of settling, sinking down into a garment. He says you just, you just get settled down there at Jerusalem. Until you are sunk down into this power. Hmm. Oh God. Give us grace to tarry. Till the power comes. It'll do no good to pray for power. Until we develop the grace to tarry. It fell in my hands this week providentially. I got the little periodical that's sent out by the Sovereign Grace Fellowship of Churches. Brother Curtis Knapp had an article in that paper on the power of God. And among other things, he, Brother Knapp said this, preaching from the book of Joshua, talking about when Israel crossed over and they took Jericho, and then they came up against this little tiny town. He puts it in capital letters. He called it Tiny Town. AI. You remember what happened there? 
They were still sorely defeated. Brother Knapp said Joshua didn't know what the problem was. He and the elders all the, and all the people were mystified as to why they had lost at Ai. They did not understand why God would bring them into the land, give them spectacular victory over Jericho, and then suffer them to be whipped by tiny tanks. They couldn't make sense of God's purposes or plans. Why would he promise them the land of Canaan, give them victory over Jericho, and then cause them to be defeated by Ai? What was God doing? Said Brother Knapp. Well, then he says, God didn't waste any time in unraveling the mystery for them. Verse 11 in that text says, Israel hath sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them for they have taken the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also and they have put it even among their own stuff. Hmm. The power of God was gone because the people had taken what God forbid them to have and put it among their own stuff. And then he has a note. <laughs> Ignorance of a problem will not spare you from the consequences. The people of God will not know the power of God through prayer alone. They must pray and they must deal with sin in their midst. Oh, my brethren, I fear this is where so many of our churches fall down. They're not prepared to deal with sin in their midst. Brother Knapp said, if a church does everything else well, now listen to his list. If a church does everything else well, prayer meetings, Bible readings, good preaching, evangelism, solemn and reverential worship if they do everything well but does not remove the leaven from the dough that church will not stand before its enemies God's power will be conspicuously absent God will not bless them but you see in America we have this wonderful phenomenon we can make it look like God is blessing man we can build stuff and we can rake in piles of money. And we can finance all kind of mission efforts. And for all the world on the surface of it, it looks like God's blessing. But there's no power in it. The power of God is gone. Brother Knapp said Israel had no power against the little town of Ai for one reason. Achan. One reason, Aiken. What about the church in America today, he says? Do we have God's power? Does anybody seriously think we have the power of God in our churches? My wife and I were talking one day this week. How long has it been since you've been in church? Service where God's presence came. 
permeated the place until he brought a holy silence on the entire congregation. Nobody could speak. I've been there. We're in a generation, I've got a grandson, I've got grandchildren right here. We're in a generation that's never even seen it. Never even seen it. Where the power of God is of such presence that he shut every mouth and made every man still before him. I'm telling you, we've got adjusted to being powerless. We've substituted everything in the world for that power to create a resemblance of it. And we don't have it. Brother Knapp said, but what is the root cause of this problem? Many diagnoses have been given, but it's rare to hear anyone point the finger at the total failure of the church to deal with sin. Well, I know this won't get me invited to a lot of conferences. Just as surely as Jephthah needed the power of God to guard his kingdom and to bless his land, we need the same dunamis of God to build his church today to feed his sheep and to ward off his enemies. One commentator has said it, has said this about this text. The leader of Israel received his commission directly from the hands of God. Nothing else can be meant by this than, than the spirit of Jehovah came upon Jephthah. Divine impulse, divine wisdom, divine obligation are all implied. It's no longer a war whose main issues and movements are subject to fallible human conditions. It is really a war in God's hands. He bears the blame so far as he commands, his commands are observed. If the mode of the war appear inhumane, it will be because our minds fail to grasp the tremendous importance of that righteousness of which they were the slow precursors and witnesses. It's hard work. It's hard work demanding righteousness in the people of God. Said this commentator, have you ever vowed to him? Have you ever vowed anything to God? Did you pay the vow? Negligence in this matter will explain much that distresses and perplexes us. Honesty towards God, how few people practice it. Yet this is the true proof of a man. No wonder George Atkins in 1819 wrote that blessed hymn we've sung it all my life. Brethren, we've met to worship. You remember it? Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. 
Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. He says, brethren, see poor sinners around you slumbering on the brink of woe. Death is coming. Hell is moving. Can you bear to let them go? See our fathers and our mothers and our children sinking down. Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. Sisters, will you join and help us? Moses' sister aided him. Will you help the trembling mourners who are struggling hard with sin? Tell them all about the Savior. Tell them he will be found. Sinners, pray. Pray. And holy manna will be showered all around. Oh, let us love and pray for sinners, he said, until holy manna comes down. Brethren, we need the power of God. We need the power of God. Enough of this artificial Christianity. We need the power of God. There's a lesson in this text, verse 29, about the power of God. I could go through this blessed book this morning and preach all day long well into the evening on our need for the power of God and on His infinite capacity to cure all that ills, the ills of our lives. Listen, listen. I said I could go through this blessed book and preach all day on our need for the power of God and on His infinite capacity to cure all our ills. But it is not here. It is not in this building. It is not in this hour. It is not in this preaching that the power will come down. That power will be summoned down from the throne of God in your quiet closet of holy intercession and in your broken heart of repentance and humility. The preacher can't bring it down. The church can't orchestrate it. The power comes in your private place of sanctuary with the Lord when you bear your bosom and unburden your soul and own your sin. Oh, God send us power. But are you prepared to commit to it? Finally, I'll close quickly. Finally today I cannot leave this portion of our chapter without just another final lesson. Lesson number four from this text. Seek peace. Seek peace. I've mentioned it already several times from this text. Psalms 34 and verse 14. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. Aren't you glad for that, Brother John? You prayed that. We read it in the psalm. 
seek peace. Jephthah exhausted himself in his efforts to come to a peaceful resolution. Rogers in 1615, Rogers said, See if by this means the enemy might be appeased. In a word, Jephthah used the best means he could desire, devise to keep peace, which ought to be observed as a rule among us. That so we do before attempting a war with nations or with individuals. According to the general rules, as much as in you lie, have peace with all men. Romans 12, 18. And eschew, Hebrews 12, 14, eschew peace, uh, ensue peace, and follow it, though it flee from you. For it is a precious treasure. There's always controversy between men. Always has been, always will be. But if men, says Rogers, could hit upon an agreement, they would be yielding to the doctrine of love to settle their differences rather than to sin against one another. Let such doings be heard of among the heathen if they will. But Christians, if one party will not hear his duty, let the other give over. Let him contend. Let the sinner contend with his own shadow. Seek peace. Agree with thine adversary quickly. Matthew 5.25 Whilst thou art in the way with him. Seek peace and pursue it. Don't be like that one. And some of you wondered, I'm sure, about my title of my sermon, A Dog's Ear. You'll find it in Proverbs 26 and verse 17. He that plucketh a dog by the ear, you're just asking for trouble. What do you do that for? What do you want to mess with that for? Why do you want to pluck a dog by the ear? You know what's going to happen. Can I tell you that in churches I've been in, there's some people that's just always looking for some dog's ear to pluck. Just stirring up something. Trouble. You're a fool. Proverbs 26 verse 17. You're a fool. Don't pluck a dog's ear. Seek peace. Amen. Oh, may the gracious Lord give us grace to heed these lessons. Turn with me, if you will, please, in your hymn book. Hymn number 519. Would you stand with me and sing in closing, please? Hymn number 519.
Lord, I approach the mercy seat where Thou dost answer prayer. There humbly fall before Thy feet, for none can perish there. Thy promise my only plea with this I venture not thou callest burdened souls to thee and such O Lord am I bow down beneath a Lord by Satan's holy breast, by wars without and fears within, I come to thee for rest. Be thou my shield and hiding place. That shelter near thy side, I may my fears accuse her face and tell him thou hast died. <clears> oh, <throat> wondrous love to bleed and die. To bear the cross and shame That guilty sinners such as I Might plead thy gracious name